And as Jesus Christ becomes more, we become less. And that, loved ones, is the will of God for your life and mine. As John the Baptist said in looking at Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. So that's why our message title then this weekend is this, the incarnation, incomprehensible humility. Welcome to Live in the Light, friends, and today we're super glad you're here, and we pray that you're ready to hear from the Lord, and specifically God's Word for each of us about our hearts and about this Christmas season. We're in the middle of a series called A Live in the Light Christmas, looking at these fantastic passages that speak about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, and Pastor Robbie's here with me in studio today, and Robbie, we're going to Philippians chapter 2, and that can only mean one thing, we're going to be talking about humility. Yeah, yeah, the greatest definition and expression of humility ever. I think, Craig, you know, we might be proud of ourselves sometimes. It's funny to say proud of our humility in the same sentence, but I think sometimes we pat ourselves on the back when we give up our spot in line at the grocery store or we let a car in as they're trying to yield into traffic and we're like, wow, I'm so gracious. I lowered myself that other people might. And those things are great. Like, I take nothing away from that. But then, then there's the humility of Jesus. Then there's the incomprehensible humility of, okay, just think about this. This is true, okay? God the Son in eternal perfect pre-incarnate glory he allows himself to come to earth but not as some you know king riding on a chariot where all the world bows down he allows himself to come even as i say it oh blesses me puts a smile on my face but also just it breaks me that he would choose to come the way he did and uh, be the servant and in the manger at the feeding trough as we know it is surrounded by animals to a peasant couple in the middle of really nowhere and nobody knew what was happening other than a couple of shepherds and some angels. I mean, the whole thing is just a mind-boggling humility and it's all wrapped in the incredible, unfathomable love of God. And so our prayer today, Craig, I know, is that our listeners and we, along with them, would just understand, wow, look at what the Lord did for me, his humility leading to my life. Aren't you thankful for Christmas today? I am. Absolutely. Well, today, as Robbie said, we're talking about the incomprehensible humility of Jesus Christ, taking us to Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5. Here again is Pastor Robbie with today's message. Please find a Bible as you can and uh, find your way to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2, and we'll be looking primarily at three verses today, verses 5 to 7. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 7. I want to start today, um, before we get directly into our text, I want to start today with a quote by J.I. Packer on really what is setting up our passage today. So this is a bit of a wordy quote, okay? So I need you to kind of sit up straight and get your minds ready to listen. There's going to be a couple of big words in here, but I'm praying that you're going to receive it. Otherwise, I don't really want to give it, all right? But here's what J.I. Packer says about the incarnation. He says this, the real difficulty 
the supreme mystery with which the gospel confronts us. Now, here's where he takes a term we wouldn't expect, okay? So the profound mystery when it comes to the gospel does not lie in the Good Friday message of atonement. It almost sounds heretical at this point, right? But let's just stay with him for a second. Nor does it lie in the Easter message of resurrection. You're like, what's he talking about? How could he say that? The mystery of the gospel is not found primarily or most in the message of Good Friday atonement or Easter message of resurrection. He says this, but really the supreme mystery of the gospel lies in the Christmas message of the incarnation. Now let's find out why he says that. Here's the next part of this quote. He says this, here in the incarnation are two mysteries for the price of one. Okay. So the supreme mysteries found within the incarnation alone in this way. The first one is this. The first supreme mystery is this, the plurality of persons within the unity of God. So one of the mysteries that we see before us as the Christmas event unfolds, as the incarnation unfolds before us, is the reality of the Trinity. One God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And this one God, three persons, eternally existing as the perfect harmony of the Godhead, they decide that the Son is going to be sent to earth. So in the incarnation, we see the Trinity unveiled in a way that has never been seen in this way before. It's a mystery. How do you fully explain one God, three persons in the incarnation? It is awesome. It's supposed to hurt your brain, okay? The second mystery is this, within the incarnation, the union of Godhead,hood and manhood in the person of Jesus Christ. So here's what Packer's saying. The reason the incarnation holds the supreme mystery, because within the incarnation, not only do you have the Trinity being revealed, but then you have the second person of the Godhead, God the Son, who comes as fully God and fully man. 100% God, 100% man, again, cause minds to explode. Packer says this, it's here in the thing that happened at the first Christmas. And this is really our whole text today. This is where we're going. That the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. Let me just say that again because that's a lot of words, okay? He's saying within the incarnation, what I love about this church right now is almost everyone who's been here for the last couple of weeks, if you were asked, what is the incarnation? You could do it, unless you've been sleeping some, right? right? But almost all of you could explain the doctrine of the incarnation in some way that'd be beneficial for those who are asking. That is awesome, Okay. And now we see this though. The incarnation is something we can never fully articulate and explain with ourselves because it holds the most profoundest and most unfathomable depths within the Christian message and the truth that God has given us in his word. The incarnation, it's incredible. It's astonishing. And in many ways, it's ultimately a mystery. Again, this is why the entire world is centered on this event at Christmas time. Because when Jesus Christ was born, when God the Son came to earth, it was the single greatest turning point in all of history because the Word became flesh and God became man. So loved ones, this is when we must discipline our minds and our hearts. And I would suggest to you this week as much as any, disciplining ourselves in the chaos of our world. It's hard to do this. I know I I live in the same world you do. We must discipline ourselves in mind mostly this week 
because we're gonna see this through our text today. The mind affects everything we do, what we believe, but let's discipline ourselves that Christmas is more. Christmas is more than chestnuts roasting on an open fire. As much as that is great, and even as you say it, you're like, oh, that just, that just feels good in some ways, but it's more than Frosty the Snowman. You better believe it's more than that, right? It's more than dreaming of a white Christmas. We have that, right? At least for now. And we'll see what happens, right? But it's more than a partridge in a pear tree. Thank goodness. It's more than a one-horse open sleigh. It's more than rocking around the Christmas tree. And Christmas is infinitely more than Santa Claus is coming to town. No offense, Santa. Kind of, right? Rather, Christmas, the incarnation, again, it contains the profoundest of most unfathomable depths within the Christmas message. So here's what we're going to try to do today. And this is, this is really not a sermon that is going to be necessarily, you know, the cutest or the funniest or the one that's maybe the easiest to hear for someone who's looking to be entertained. That's not going to happen really at all, but it will contain, I believe, some of the most important truth you'll ever hear. Some of the most important truth for us to reflect upon and sit upon and say, this world's not about us. It's ultimately about Jesus Christ. And to be able to let that sink in a little more that the worship of our lives would grow and the minds and the renewal of our minds would increase and the affection of our hearts would be stirred as we contemplate the reality of something that ultimately we'll never fully understand. So we're gonna try to swim in these seas of unfathomable depths today. We're going to seek to put our spiritual scuba gear on today and maybe by God's help, dive a little bit deeper than we have before. Why? Because as we dive down, we are seeking to discover a treasure that lies in the depths, a beauty that is not often seen in our world again with its chaos, but it's the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ found within the incarnation itself. Because when we do this, we put on our spiritual scuba gear and we dive down and begin to see and get out of the busyness of the world. What happens here that Jesus Christ becomes more And as Jesus Christ becomes more, we become less. And that, loved ones, is the will of God for your life and mine. As John the Baptist said, in looking at Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. So that's why our message title then this weekend is this, the incarnation, incomprehensible humility. At the end of the day, it is a humility that is ultimately incomprehensible, but we're going to try, but we don't stand a chance apart from the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen? Do you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that God's word is truth? Do you believe that right now God wants to speak to you? You know, I just, I love relying on him because I can't. I'm just gonna confess to you again a couple hours ago before I came to come here, just looking up to the Lord in anguish of different sorts and saying, God, you know, I can't do this again. (laughs) I can't do it. I can't do it, but you can. And that's why you're God and that's why we're not. And listen, that's why we pray. That's why we pray. Father, so gladly bow before you in this moment, so gladly surrender my heart. And I pray the hearts of my brothers and sisters here even now, so gladly getting ourselves in a posture of humility before the one who demonstrated a humility, Lord, that we can't begin to fathom. But I do pray, I beg you, that even today, right now, Lord, for every heart that is here and listening, you would open up just a little more and allow us to go a little bit deeper to see again with a greater appreciation and beauty the reality of why we live and who it is we live for. Oh God, would you open up the treasure that is found within your kingdom, the treasure that is found within the mystery of even you and the Godhead. 
Oh Lord, would you allow us, not that we deserve it because you love us so much, proven again and again through the mystery of the incarnation itself, that you would, Lord, now, even, even now, Cause us, Lord, that we might decrease, that you might be increasing in our lives, our worship, our affections, Lord, and the things that we say and how we think and the lives that we ultimately live. Holy Spirit of God, the word says, searches even the depths of God. You are the one who knows all things. You can search into the unfathomable depths of the incarnation. And so we pray by your grace and mercy and kindness, you would reveal to us just a little bit more today and we would be so blessed because of it. We pray this with, with all sincerity. Father, we, we are not talking to a God who does not hear. We are speaking right now collectively to a God who loves and listens and longs to change us. And so I believe in this prayer right now. And I pray many, many of my dear loved brothers and sisters are in agreement and truly praying this time will be supernatural. Oh, bring a unity that is of you and cause us, oh Lord, to know, to know again the power and the grace living in us and between us, that we may have a purpose and a mission as much as ever for all that matters most. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Philippians chapter two, verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Notice that, have, your, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And now verse six, who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, a slave, and being born in the likeness of men. Now, what we're going to do today with our text is we're going to use verse 5 as a hinge verse from what comes after verse 5 and actually what is before verse 5 as well. We're going to use verse 5 as a hinge verse because that's what we believe it is. So think of a hinge um, on a door frame. Think of how the hinge is the connecting point between the door and the frame. Without the hinge, it's pretty hard to have a door that works properly, if at all. But the hinge is a key, key element that allows, again, the door to function and attaches the foundation of the frame so that both can function together. The hinge is very, very important. It forms a bridge of sorts. It's a transition. This is what verse five is in our text. I'm praying like me this week, you will see the glory in God's word again, how much there is in God's word. And verse five then being a hinge verse for primarily verses six and seven for us today, but also it kind of draws us back to verses two to four as well. So we're gonna start pull being pushed forward or pulled forward in verses six and seven with hinge verse in verse five. But then at the end of this message, Lord willing, we're gonna be pulled back by this hinge verse and take a look at verses three and four. A little unorthodox for expositional preaching, but I believe it's right. I believe this is what even God's word is telling us in not so many ways as well. So here's our hinge verse. Again, verse five. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Now notice, have this mind. Mind. Why the mind? Well, 
The mind is so critical. The, the mind is what we understand and the mind then is what we apply and what we fill our mind with then is how we ultimately live. We've showed this chart at various times in various ways, but I've always loved it. This is one of the top five principles of my biblical life. And I pray this would be one of your top five biblical principles of your life as well. The power, the reality, the essential nature of how we use our mind. Here's why. What you fill your mind with, and by the way, this is Romans 12 verses one and two. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Loved ones, it matters what we fill our minds with. Why? What you fill your mind with is what forms your thoughts. It's just very basic. It's very logical. And then what we think about ultimately will determine what we, how we behave. So fill your mind, form your thoughts, forge your behavior. It all starts in the mind. What are you filling your mind with? What are the things that you are thinking, talking? What are the things that you are reading? What are the things that you are watching? What is the content that's coming into your mind? Because whatever you fill your mind with, young people, old people, will form your thoughts will then forge your behavior and then notice what you start with your mind in the end, that's where you'll find your fruit. This, in the end of the day, this will become who you are. Are there any power partners out there? Do you know what a power partner is? Let me help you out. Live in the Light is entirely listener supported, which means we count on monthly gifts from generous donors to stay on the air. And we need the resources to create our show. Power Partners are a group of faithful supporters that give $30 or more per month, and that goes right to ministry creation and radio airtime. If you are interested in joining our Power Partner team, you can visit our website at liveinthelight.ca. Let's get back to our teacher, Pastor Robbie. Everything starts here with what am I filling my mind with? This is why then the mind is everything. Again, I cannot tell you how often I think about this truth. I cannot tell you how many mornings when I wake up, I'm not going to the word of God so I feel better about myself. I'm going to the word of God because I need the shower of my mind. I need the renewal of my mind. I need to know what God says because if I don't know what God says, I'm done. I'm dead. I can't make it and neither can you. Verse five, have this mind among yourselves. There's so much application to this as it relates to Christ as our example, as it goes back to the model of what Paul says we are to be as the unified body of Christ. And we're gonna cover hopefully a lot of it. But have this mind among yourselves, notice, to the church, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So here's where we start today then. Two points today with massive application regarding the incarnation. The first one is this. The incarnation, as we renew our minds in this truth, it leads us to understand this. It is a mind-boggling humility. The incarnation is a mind-boggling or mind-blowing or mind-exploding humility. So verse five launches us into the glory of the incarnation as it takes us now to verses six and seven. And this is a humility in verses six and seven. This is a humility demonstrated by the son of God that we can't fully wrap our minds around, but we have to try because it produces worship within us. 
And one of the things we need to do as we come to verses six and seven, we must understand as Christ came to earth, we first must think about what Christ left behind. What did he leave behind in order to come to earth? Because before the incarnation, think, 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 God the Son existed eternally in perfect harmony and fellowship and mutual love within the Trinity. The triune God eternally existing in a glorified state with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Consider then the impact of Philippians 2 verse 6 now, which says, who though Christ, Jesus, was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, what does this mean? There's, there's so much here. What's critical to understand in verse 6 is the difference between personal equality of Christ and positional equality as it relates to Jesus. I'll say those two terms again. The difference between personal equality of Christ relating to the Godhead and positional equality of Christ relating to the Godhead. Let's make this very, very clear. When Jesus leaves heaven, he does not surrender his deity. Jesus Christ has always been and will always be fully God. Rather, when Jesus leaves the glories of heaven to subject himself as a human being on earth, what he does do is he relinquishes his positional equality with God. So he's still fully God in person but he relinquishes, relinquishes part of his position with God. So he was willing to leave heaven and subject himself to us as humans, which means then he left perfect glory to endure sinful man. And the moment he is willing to endure his own creation and the sinfulness of man, that means he is subjecting himself to be mocked, ridiculed, and killed. When Jesus Christ comes to earth, this is the humility we see as he leaves pre-incarnate glory. He gives up the divine right to be free from abuse and suffering. Because obviously the Trinity, the Godhead in the perfect glories of heaven, they're not subject to any of that. It's perfect. It's beautiful. There is no sin there. When Jesus Christ decides to come, he gives up his divine right to be free from any kind of sin against him, abuse or suffering upon his life. See, this is when you start to understand like, wait, wait, he came to earth. And you, what he left, pre-incarnate glory for me. Here's a chart that we've used several times before. I love this too. This is one of my favorite doctrines in scripture. This is the work of Jesus Christ. Hopefully some of you, this is review for you. I want you to see this here. I want you to see the pattern when Jesus Christ came. He left pre-incarnate glory. This is what we're talking about right here in Philippians 2, 5, 6, and 7. We're starting to see this process. When he leaves pre-incarnate glory, he allows himself to come to earth. This is the incarnation. You have to understand the reality and the humiliation of what Jesus Christ did, being God himself, taking on flesh from the incarnation then. See, the incarnation never stops here. It necessitates that Jesus live a life now that he might fulfill the law, Matthew 5, that he lives a perfect life without sin, 
that he can be our substitute, our sacrifice, that he can take on the punishment for our sins. But notice the incarnation necessitates the crucifixion. It guarantees the moment he leaves glory, he must die. The moment he's born, he's born to die. So it's not just that he came and took on flesh, that's bad enough that he lived and he subjected himself to learn and to be fed and then to learn language and to grow in wisdom and stature, but then also to, to, to die. Notice what ultimately, this is for, are you here today? You're saved in Christ. Are you today or not saved in Christ? This is why Christmas is the turning point in history. The moment he enters the earth, he is doing a downward path to swoop down. He lowers himself to the point of death, even death on the cross, Philippians 2 and 8 and 9 and 10, that he might swoop down, pick us up at the cross, and he will ascend to heaven and we will soon one day be with him in all glory. But it starts here to here. This is the starting point. This is the marvel of that first Christmas night. This is when the sun began to shine in the darkness. This is when hope began to be felt because this is when the one who would come to die for you and me, that we have a chance at all of eternal life by faith and forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. It's the one it says again in verse six, who though he was in the form of God, God himself did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. He relinquished his position because he loved us so much. He never ever lost his personal equality. But again, he did relinquish his position. You can think about it this way too, right? God the Father was never spit upon. God the Father was never falsely accused. God the Father was never beaten. God the Father was never crucified. So in this sense, loved one, the Father is greater than the Son in that sense. Jesus says himself in John 14, verse 28, the Father is greater than me. But what he's talking about is what we're talking about right now. They're both fully God. But in the sense that the Son subjected himself to such punishment, torture, and treatment that put him at a lower position, yet fully all the time maintaining his perfection in the Godhead. It's, it's just, this is the part that just hurts our brains, but to the glory of God. It should cause to result in our lives a greater sense of worship and gratitude. The very fact that God the Son was willing to leave pre-incarnate glory was an unfathomable act and demonstration of love. It is truly a mind-boggling humility. And right now, what I want you to see right here is that Jesus Christ did this in the motivation of love for you. For God so loved the world, he gave. He gave. For God so loved, insert your name, he gave his only son. He gave. A mind-boggling, mind-blowing humility. The incarnation is the infinite illustration of Jesus taking the lower seat. Jesus taking the lower seat. You know, how many times have we gotten into a car and we fight over who gets shotgun? Shotgun, 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 me shotgun. All the kids that do that and adults. <laughs> and it's amazing how we're just so caught up in the higher position of importance and 
status and and the shotgun reference in a car is 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 lived out in 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 innumerable ways in our lives and society. Me 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 me. First 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 front of the line in the place recognition. Then we look at the Christmas story and we see Jesus Christ himself through the incarnation. Again, the infinite illustration of taking the lower seat. And why does he do this? Because he loves us so much. I, I implore us this season to take some extra time to sit, maybe even right now, to sit, to be still, to stare, and to say, and to say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your humility that has allowed me to live. Thank you for your humility of incomprehensible fashion that you would cause yourself to be brought so low and so meek and treated so badly. And you did not obliterate those in front of you, but you willingly laid down your life and died on the cross, which all began in that first Christmas evening, day, morning, that we might be saved. Take the time to say thank you. You know, within the Christmas story, Simeon, but then right after Simeon, there's Anna. And Anna was told, went to the temple day and night through fasting and prayer and worship. Said she was very old. Some scholars estimate she was over 100 years old. And there she was, you know what she was doing? And it was just after Jesus came to the temple, Simeon's there, Simeon says, now I can die, I've seen the Lord. And then it talks about Anna. And Anna, she says she was giving thanks and telling all the people she could see. You can look at it in Luke 2, telling all the people about the redemption that was coming to Israel through Jesus Christ. Awesome. That's all for today. Join us next time at Live in the Light. <laughs>